before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. Welcome to October. We've got football in full swing, the start of basketball and hockey season, and of course, baseball playoffs. Ha <laughs> ha oh, it's wild card weekend. Let's go Padres. Bet Online has you covered for all of the action this October. You can sign up with our promo code BLEAV50, that's B L E A V 50, and get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, where the game starts. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, or good night, however and whenever it is you may be listening, thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the Take It Easy podcast, live on the Believe Podcast Network, except it isn't live because it is, as always, a podcast. Welcome, 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 everybody. It is NFL Monday here on the Take It Easy podcast. Once again, I hope you all are having a fantabulous day, however and whenever it is that you may be listening. We are going to talk about everything that went down in the NFL this week. This was actually kind of an interesting week because there was a fun game with Buffalo and Baltimore, and I'll do some of the X's and O's breakdown of that in a second. But the NFL just did a really good job this week for some reason scheduling like very similar football teams, like a lot of teams with super similar skill sets to each other, like uh, just going through the schedule real quick. So like the Titans played the Colts this week. Those are basically the same team. They do different things a little bit here and there, but for the most part, they're basically just the same team. Couple injuries here. Uh, obviously the Titans like to run their offense a little differently than the Colts, but they're basically just the same team. Uh, you had a matchup between the Seahawks and Lions, basically the same team going up against each other. Bears and Giants, basically the same team. Washington and Dallas, they're not the same team, but the final score was 25-10. Basically the gap between the Cowboys and Washington is basically two touchdowns. Uh, Carolina played against Arizona and Arizona whooped ass on Carolina because Carol. Oh, I forgot to mention off the top of the podcast. Every NFL Monday is another NFL Monday. One week closer to Matt rule being fired by the Panthers. Every new Monday, we're one week closer to Matt rules firing. Not sure when it's going to happen. We're still waiting. Uh, but basically similar teams, Broncos and Raiders, basically the same football team at this point in the season but then the good ones are like bills and ravens those are the two and three best teams in the afc and if you want to debate the chiefs back and forth they are the one and two best teams in the afc uh they set up the titans and colts those are basically like eight and nine best teams in the afc uh cardinals and panthers both of those teams are like nine and ten best teams in the nfc Uh, Broncos and Raiders, those are like seven and eight best teams. If you go back to Thursday night, Dolphins and Bengals, those are the sixth and seventh best teams in the AFC. 
So for some reason, they set up the schedule really well that way to where all the teams that played were very similar to each other. Most were one score games and they did similar things to each other like Seahawks and Lions, which we'll we'll talk about that more later. But just off the bat, man, the Detroit Lions have scored 25 more points than any other team in the NFL and they are one in three. And basically, if you break down the tiebreakers, dead last in the entire NFC. They lead the league in scoring and they are dead last in all of the NFC. It's wild how that has played out. So anyways, games were super similar to each other this week. Best game of the week was obviously Buffalo and Baltimore. I mean, just both of those quarterbacks are so much fun. As always, remember, we're recording this before Sunday Night Football, so maybe something awesome happened in Chiefs Bucks. I don't know about it. We'll talk about it on Tuesday if it's worthwhile. By the way, also on Tuesday, we're going to do a full podcast on Tua, or at least a full block of the podcast on Tua. I know we kind of kicked that down the road on Friday. Uh, Blake Jude and mine's schedules didn't work out great. So I'm going to take the reins on talking about Tua and doing some research and all that stuff tomorrow. So uh, save that. Uh, for Tuesday with all the information hopefully available to us. I know the NFL fired the staffer. They didn't actually release the findings of the report, which I thought was uh, a little bit interesting, but just seems to be how that one played out. Um, But I do want to talk about Buffalo-Baltimore. I know that's what we were talking about before then. Baltimore has now blown two 17-point leads, which is basically the same thing as like, hey, if the secondary had been able to get stops, then... Baltimore would be 4-0, and and then last year I said if those two two-point conversions go differently for Baltimore, they would have been a playoff team even without Lamar Jackson, or at the time Lamar Jackson got hurt, they would have been the number one seed in the AFC, and then I talk about how in 2019 when the Baltimore Ravens, when everything clicked perfectly for Baltimore and they were literally unbeatable, if these two fourth down and ones don't go their way, plus an interception that goes through the hands of Mark Andrews and gets picked off by Kevin Byard, well, then Baltimore might have gone to the Super Bowl that year, if not for that three plays that swung the playoff game 28 points against the Titans. So, like, I always say, if not for this, Baltimore would be this. And it's been, like, four years of trying to point out the fact, because I feel like one of the things that's been over-exaggerated is the difficulties of Baltimore to win playoff games or Lamar Jackson not being clutch or one of those things like that. Like Lamar Jackson has been an elite quarterback for four seasons and because of injuries to Baltimore, they haven't had the success in 2020 or 2021. And then this year they've blown gigantic leads at the end of games. And the easiest thing to point to is to say Lamar Jackson didn't score any points in the second half slash like last I think they scored one right at the start of the quarter so basically like the last 25 minutes of the game Baltimore didn't score any points and you could point to that and say okay that's the problem for the Ravens if you go back and watch the game script Baltimore ran a nine and a half minute drive in which they got down to the two yard line got stopped at the two yard line and Yes, that play didn't work out. It ended up being an interception for Poyer, and then Buffalo only had to go 80 yards real quick. They ended up winning the game uh, just by like kneeling clock out and uh, possessing the ball all the way through. But Baltimore played well in that game, and, and Baltimore, even at the end, was playing running style, which they like to do, long time of possession, And I don't know, because I haven't gone back and watched the full game, but I don't know if that was out of necessity for Baltimore 
or if that was Baltimore deciding, hey, we're going to run the ball, control time of possession, because that's the offense that we want to run here at the end of the game. I'm not exactly sure which way they go on that. I just thought it was interesting that their biggest possession where they didn't score any points, I mean, they were up 20-3, to and they didn't score any points, but they held the ball for nine and a half minutes on a drive that would have ended in points had they not been playing the game of, we're going to stop at the two-yard line, we're going to run the ball up and down the field, we're going to use screen passes, and we want to kill the clock because our defense cannot stop Buffalo. I suspect that it was probably more out of necessity than the style of play they wanted to run because nine-and-a-half-minute drives are hard to execute uh, by any stretch of the imagination. It's just that you know, moving so few plays at a time makes it difficult to even just run a drive for nine to ten minutes. So maybe that was out of necessity and trying to keep Buffalo off the field, but I thought they did really well on offense, even while scoring zero points. Um, and maybe that's just you know playing the result at the end. They lose. Buffalo basically got the ball at first and goal, and and Baltimore didn't use their timeouts well, so they had basically no chance to to get the ball back and try and do a Kirk Cousins purgatory comeback. They didn't even get that chance, but. Uh, they still held the ball for nine and a half minutes. It just was a drive that ended in zero points because they went for it on fourth and two, and Buffalo had an amazing defensive play. And ultimately, a 17-point lead again goes to waste for Baltimore. I thought they were the interesting story, and uh, obviously Lamar Jackson had an awesome game. And at the end of it all, they go punt, punt, the interception that was kind of Lamar's fault, but also kind of not Lamar's fault. And then they run a nine and a half minute drive to eat up time in the fourth quarter. And that was that was what they were playing the whole game for was for a nine and a half minute possession. And it reminded me, I mean, just real back real quick, thinking back to remember in 2019 when they played the 49ers and it felt like the game of the year and both teams ran the ball a bunch. It was like 17-14 and the Ravens ended up winning on a last second field goal by Tucker. That was the strategy Baltimore was trying to execute on offense where they are unstoppable and because they are unstoppable, they're going to use clock to their advantage. That's what it felt like. Like I said, I don't know if that was what they wanted to run because their offense was so good or if they were doing it out of necessity because they didn't want Buffalo to get the ball back. Either way, it worked out until Buffalo made a great play. Once once the field shrunk and Buffalo didn't have to defend deep, um, it became a lot easier for them to defend the Ravens passing game and spy Lamar Jackson. And obviously they, they stopped him on fourth down and got the interception. I think Poyer had two interceptions, but you you know the play I'm talking about, the fourth and goal at the two. And it reminded me of that game in 2019 where it's like, man, with, if Baltimore had won that game, we would have pointed to that and said their ability to run the football and work with their three receivers works out great. And then because they lose and because Josh Allen is just so good. It's just so good. This was a game, by the way, when Buffalo went down 17, they kind of abandoned the thing I'd been saying, which is regular season games are not super important for Buffalo. I mean, coming off the loss, they didn't want to go to 0-2 and, and tiebreakers and all that, be 2-2, two and two, whatever. Buffalo like went abandoned strategy and let Josh Allen run. They let Josh Allen take hits. They let Josh Allen on third downs, like by time, by time, scramble, level a linebacker to convert third downs. Like they didn't put any protections on Josh Allen and Josh Allen obviously didn't put any protections on himself. And 
power to him. Josh Allen is their number one running back. Like no ifs, ands, or buts. Josh Allen is the be- is the running game for the Buffalo Bills, at least the most effective running game. Because again, for four goddamn seasons, I can't understand why Buffalo has had bad running games. But that that uh that touchdown drive that tied the game to make it twenty twenty that was a six and a half minute drive that ended with a touchdown. The the drive began with six consecutive run plays. Three of which were Josh Allen. Three of which were the the um you know the trio of running backs that aren't any good. Uh, Singletary, Moss, and Cook. I know they're not terrible, but they're also not good. And the Bills have maybe the worst running game of any great team in the league, other than Miami. And I was watching it. And I was like, man, Buffalo is running the football. They are using Josh Allen in the running game, which is exactly what I remember from the playoffs last year when they were moving the ball against Kansas City. I just because I'm so ingrained in this thought that like the regular season is not important for Buffalo, they're going to win the division. I didn't think they would expose Josh Allen to big hits because the most important thing is Josh Allen being healthy, but they ran that offense beautifully. And because Baltimore's secondary is bad and because Michael Pierce had surgery on the interior for uh, the defensive tackle for the Ravens, Man, it was like Patrick Queen and Kyle Hamilton and like nothing. I mean, Marlon Humphrey was there, but like nothing else for the Baltimore Ravens in that game. And and Buffalo was just fantastic. So I give props to Buffalo. They ran the shit out of the ball. Six and a half minute touchdown drive. And then uh, because of Baltimore's clock management issues, they got first and goal with two minutes to go and then could basically just like kneel the clock down because they had first and goal with a minute 30 at the one yard line. They basically were like, yeah, we could score real quick here, but then we'd give you the ball back. So we're just going to kneel on it for two minutes straight and kick a chip shot field goal because it was just so easy to move the ball. They they moved. The, they had basically four minutes to move the ball 80 yards, and they were like, four minutes? We only need two minutes to move the ball 80 yards down the field. Like, you're giving us, like, three extra minutes to do something that we've already done this year and have done, like, ten times in the last three seasons. Like four minutes, we only need one minute to get the ball in field goal range to win the game. You're you're giving us so much extra time, and uh, because of Baltimore's clock management issues, they kind of ran out of gas at the end. It's a super fun game, and I hate that the conversation is going to be about Baltimore blowing a lead because they, they it was a super duper good game in Buffalo. I mean, just like that playoff game that they played in Buffalo in 2020, where I'll never forget that the Bills. To, in the first half, this was the divisional playoff game when uh, the, when Buffalo played Kansas City in the AFC Championship game two years ago during the COVID season, the year that the Chiefs played the Bucks in the Super Bowl. Buffalo played Baltimore in the playoffs in Buffalo, and in the first half of that game, Buffalo ran 21 pass plays, one run play, and the one run was a design carry for Josh Allen, and the Baltimore Ravens ran 17 run plays, zero pass plays they ran zero passes buffalo ran zero runs both teams were saying we're gonna do what we do well the game was i believe three to three at that point or ten to ten it was either three to three or ten to ten in the third quarter just like today baltimore ran an eight minute drive to start the second half right down the field Almost entirely run plays. They got to the goal line. Lamar Jackson threw a pick six to Teron Johnson, and that was the end of the game. And just like today, uh, Buffalo was down points. Defense got turnovers on Lamar Jackson, which obviously Lamar Jackson doesn't have a turnover problem. It's just something that's difficult to process because you've seen Lamar Jackson turn the ball over in key moments. 
more often than say Patrick Mahomes or Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady does and so therefore by comparison people think Lamar Jackson has a turnover problem but I mean Buffalo in those key moments in that playoff game against Baltimore and then twice today with Poyer Buffalo gets turnovers and those turnovers swing the point differential just because of how good not just because of how good their offense is but because Baltimore is I mean just turnovers are so costly in general and for some reason Buffalo generates them against Baltimore following similar game scripts sometimes they run the game they want to play sometimes they got to come back and open up the playbook and you know credit to Buffalo for winning that game because like I said Buffalo and Baltimore Josh Allen Lamar Jackson one two for the MVP right now Uh, You can pick the order however you want to go for it, but like those two are one, two MVP, and uh, I'd put the Chiefs number one in the AFC. But like if if you're not feeling Kansas City, Buffalo and Baltimore are two best teams in the AFC at this point. If you are going to come after Mahomes, you best not miss 400 yards of offense for the Chiefs in three quarters, 41 points. Mahomes doing a play where he goes all the way to the line of scrimmage, spins out of a tackle, like chest passes the ball to the end zone for a touchdown. You can't guard the Chiefs anywhere on the field for 10 seconds. Trying to guard football players is hard enough given how the rules are set up. And when Mahomes can just buy 10 seconds of time and make plays last longer than any other quarterback in the NFL, you've got no chance. I know we usually record these things uh, before Sunday Night Football, but this week I had to make a special exception because of our beloved Patrick Mahomes whooping up on Tampa Bay. Kansas City, best team in football, yes. No more Tyreek Hill, doesn't matter. Best team in football, period. I know I love Mahomes, I know I love Kansas City, best team in football. Better than the Eagles, better than Baltimore, better than Buffalo, best team in football. Transition. There's a larger conversation I want to have about Kenny Pickett and about the Pittsburgh Steelers, and we'll save that probably for uh, talking to, you know, a Pro Bowl quarterback of the Pittsburgh Steelers, with which I do a podcast twice weekly on the Believe Podcast Network, so probably better to do that with Cordell Stewart than here. I would like to point out, though, that of course I was right about Kenny Pickett, should have started from week one, because the Steelers... If you're going to draft a first-round quarterback, play him right away. Now, I think the Pittsburgh Steelers were going at this differently than I was. I think I was correct in my evaluation. The way Mike Tomlin was looking at this was, we think we can compete this season. And we think that Mitchell Trubisky can plug in the way that Big Ben had the last couple seasons when Big Ben was a below-average NFL quarterback as uh, I called him Jimmy Garothlisberger for a couple seasons. 
We can plug it in like Mason Rudolph in 2019 or Duck Hodges in 2019. The Steelers had gotten away with having terrible offenses for three consecutive seasons, 2019, 2020, and 2021, that when it came time to do the evaluation on this season, they felt like they could get away with it again. Because again, Pittsburgh went 9-7 and seven with Duck Hodges and, and Mason Rudolph in 2019. They started 11-0 with a system and a great defense in 2020, and obviously it all fell apart at the end of the season and got exposed. But then they walked out with the same team last year, added in Najee Harris as a rookie. They felt like the, the correction from 2020 to 2021 was, let's draft a running back in the first round. Let's get the best running back available in his youth and in his like relative prime, because Najee Harris is one of those dudes that's built like Derrick Henry, and we'll go with that. And Pittsburgh made the playoffs last year, even though they did not belong in the playoffs. They went 9-7-1, and I believe, last year, and made the playoffs because Indianapolis shit the bed against the Jaguars, and the Chargers did the prisoner's dilemma thing and wouldn't take a tie against the Raiders to end the season and get in the playoffs. So, like, a thousand, not a thousand, like, a 2% chance had to come true for Pittsburgh to make the playoffs last year. And then they got blown out in the first game by Kansas City because they did not belong in the playoffs. But when you make the playoffs three consecutive years in a row with subpar offenses, that is a testament to what Pittsburgh has built defensively and what Mike Tomlin elevates you from a play-calling standpoint and a coaching standpoint, because we know Mike Tomlin is one of these seven coaches that elevates the players around him. It's a huge success that with those terrible offenses Pittsburgh has had the last three seasons, they were able to make the playoffs three years in a row. And I think the thinking in Pittsburgh was, we think we can make the playoffs this season. We think that we will be a playoff team this year. And of course, Pittsburgh's famously, Mike Tomlin's never had a losing season in 15 years in Pittsburgh. And right before Mike Tomlin got there, it was Bill Cowher who had a Super Bowl, one season, and retirement. So, like, we're talking about 30 consecutive years of successful quarterback or successful football, 30 years, by the way, which included six to seven years of Cordell Stewart, whom I do a podcast with on Believe. And we'll hear from him on the Steelers coming up sometime later this week. I don't know what day, but at some point we'll hear Cordell Stewart talk about the quarterback switch for the Steelers. And I was interested in that from the standpoint of Pittsburgh thought they could operate differently than other NFL teams. And therefore you plug in Trubisky, even if he doesn't play as well as Kenny Pickett in the short term. I'm sorry, even if he doesn't play as well as Kenny Pickett in the long term, He gives us a chance this season to make the playoffs, and we have no plans to keep Mitch on the team after this year. Which, to me, felt incredibly short-sighted. And again, I kept saying the whole time, I don't have as much information as Mike Tomlin. I trust Mike Tomlin's decision-making. And what I can infer is that Pittsburgh genuinely believed they could make the playoffs at the start of this season. Which, I talked about this with Juju I thought Pittsburgh could make the playoffs at the start of the year, but I thought like 17 teams in the AFC could make the playoffs, and there's only 16 teams in the AFC. And when I was doing the evaluation, I said there's going to be a 6-11 and 11 team that shocks us. Might be the Bengals, might be the Patriots, might be the Steelers, might be the Dolphins. There's going to be a 6-11 and 11 team that surprises the shit out of us. And now it's incredibly clear through four weeks of the season that team is Pittsburgh. Because Pittsburgh's season is over. Declare it right here on October 2nd, 2022. Pittsburgh's season over. It is over for Pittsburgh. They are 1-3, and and they should be 0-4. 
TJ Watt is out for eight weeks. And by the time TJ Watt has even thought about coming back, here's the next four games that Pittsburgh plays. At Buffalo, Tampa Bay, Miami, and Philadelphia. Buffalo, Tampa, Miami, Philadelphia, they will be two and six at the end of that stretch. Maybe they'll be three and five, whatever. The difference is negligible. Pittsburgh is not a playoff team. They are headed towards either a top 10 or a top 15 pick against semantics aside. And that was the conclusion from today. When Kenny Pickett went into the game in the second half and played like Ryan Tannehill, which is better than any quarterback play the Pittsburgh Steelers have had for the last, what is that, three seasons and three games, best quarterback play the Steelers have had since 2018 was basically Ryan Tannehill, which is what Kenny Pickett was in the second half of that game. And that is the evaluation on Pittsburgh. They This season is about draft pick and developing the quarterback that you picked in the first round that you at least believe in some sense will be your quarterback for the next 10 years you could ultimately be proven wrong like they they clearly evaluated Kenny Pickett as a second round grade they just had to pick him in the first round because he wasn't going to be available to them late in the second round and they clearly believe that Kenny Pickett is worth a first round pick or at least can be a starter that then bridges to something better but they believe he's going to be their quarterback for next season and the season after that which they never thought about for Mitch Trubisky hence the fact they drafted Kenny Pickett in the first place but the Steelers I I have to imagine genuinely thought that Mitch Trubisky would start the entire season they would win 10 or 11 games and they would be a playoff team trying to make that run before transitioning over to Pickett. And that's just not going to happen this year. And the fact that they switched to Kenny Pickett is an acknowledgement of that fact. And I don't think that those two things are mutually exclusive. Like, I don't think that playing Pickett means you acknowledge that Trubisky was, you know, that the season's over. Like, I think that you could put Kenny Pickett in and he's immediately better than Trubisky. It's totally a possibility. We need a larger sample size than a half of football to do that. And Kenny Pickett, even though he had three interceptions, two of them were punt interceptions. So I don't really count those as like big turnovers knocked against him. They'll knock down his passer rating, but we're going to need a larger sample size than like 30 minutes of football for Kenny Pickett to know what he is. Like Kenny Pickett could be better than Trubisky right away, and that means that the Steelers will theoretically be better than the Steelers would have been with Trubisky, which I agree. I said at the start of the year, you should have played Kenny Pickett week one. Said from the very beginning, play the rookie that you draft in the first round week one. Because if you're going to suck, suck with the rookie. If your offense is going to be bad, be bad with the rookie. Let the rookie make mistakes. Let the rookie develop. Because you spent a first round pick on him, and... The difference is going to be like, oh, his mistakes will cost us a playoff spot. Well, now we know for sure Pittsburgh is not making the playoffs. Pittsburgh has no chance they're going to make the playoffs. Season is over for Pittsburgh. They are one of the four worst teams in the AFC. Season is over for Pittsburgh. They might finish with a better record because they have Mike Tomlin. Season over for Pittsburgh at this point. And Pittsburgh is going to play four really tough games the next four weeks. Buffalo, Tampa, Miami, Philadelphia. They'll probably win one of them. If they win one, they'll be two and six. 
they probably should be, I mean, they should have beat the shit out of the Bengals, but their offense was so bad, they let the Bengals back in. There's a scenario where they start the season 0-6-1. Instead, they're going to be 2-6 and or 2-5, and and there's, there's no coming back for that because they just don't have the talent for it. So I'm glad that Pickett's going to play the rest of the season because at least we get a representative sample size of what he is instead of the 49ers over there with Bitcoin who took Trey Lance who had played one football game in two years and then only played him in four football games for the next two seasons. Obviously, they couldn't have predicted his injury. But if they had started him from week one last year, like I said, they should have, they would have at least had a 20-game representative sample size of what Trey Lance looks like. And again, it doesn't mean that your team is going to be bad just because you go with a rookie. It might turn out that way. You might have picked the wrong person. Or the rookie needs time to develop because... They are new to the NFL, and they're going to make mistakes because the reason you get a top quarterback in the first place is because your team has holes in it. Pittsburgh's kind of the opposite case where they overperformed last year, and this year they're going to regress to the mean a bit. Last year they probably should have been a top fifteen, like the fifteenth pick, and the, they should have been what the um, they should have been what the Patriots were two years ago, which is like a five hundred team just missed the playoffs. Pittsburgh should have been what Baltimore was last year. Baltimore had, what, the 14 pick in the draft? Pittsburgh should have been that last year. And they they made the playoffs on some bullshit. Mainly the Colts blowing that game against the Jaguars and the Chargers, you know, not prisoners dilemmaing themselves out of the playoffs. Remember that week 17 where the Chargers and Raiders could tie and they both make the playoffs, but the Chargers called timeout because they prisoner dilemmaed themselves? And, and I'm just looking at Pittsburgh right now, and I'm like, okay, you acknowledge the season is over. Or at least you should theoretically acknowledge the season's over, because they're going to be 2-6. and six, And they would have to win every game the rest of the season to make the playoffs in the AFC. And that's just not going to happen, because Pittsburgh's not that good. So you acknowledge that the season's over. This is going to be the worst season of Pittsburgh Steelers football in 20 to 25 years. And that's okay because this is about developing what the next step is going to be. You're going to get a top pick in the draft. You should definitely use it on offensive line. Maybe you trade for an offensive lineman, deadline or otherwise. Those are like long-term focuses for Pittsburgh. But I'm glad that they finally made the switch. They just should have done it at the start of the season with Kenny Pickett. And I also don't fault them for doing what they did because they genuinely believed that they were a playoff team. And I'm not going to say that they were crazy for doing so. I think it would have been a long shot for them to make the playoffs, and their best chance would have been Kenny Pickett being better than Mitchell Trubisky immediately. And if that doesn't happen, then they'll finish worse, but they'll let Kenny Pickett make mistakes grow and develop so that hopefully he's their quarterback for the next three years and they can surround him with all these incredible weapons that they have and that great defense. They can get him offensive linemen. And, you know, the, all, every player on the Steelers receiving core is brand new. Deontay Johnson's in his third se- or fourth season, Claypool third season, George Pickens first season, Fryermuth second year, Najee Harris second year. Like, they have these great players, and they're going to let Pickett develop with them, offensive line or no offensive line, and defense being injured and not as good as the defense from a couple of years ago like whatever the case may be having Mike Tomlin having replacing Matt Canada whatever it's going to take it's going to be like a two-year growing pain process for the Steelers and the Steelers are doing it like any other team would because they didn't pivot from the quarterback position and they got a you know with someone that I assume they evaluated as a second round quarterback because Kenny Pickett would have been wouldn't have been available to them if they didn't evaluate him as a high second round quarterback And they obviously believe he'll be the quarterback for the next three years. 
So this is now like, okay, see you, Mitch. We'll we'll roll it out with Pickett the rest of the season, and we are not going to make the playoffs. We're going to have a top 10 pick, and if they finish with the 11 pick, so sue me. They're probably going to have a top 10 pick. If tiebreakers work their way, maybe they get a higher pick, but they don't want that to be the case. They want to get a top 10 pick, and that's going to be the highest pick they hopefully get during this rebuild. And that's okay. This is just the natural cycle that every team goes through. Um, when you don't, when you aren't pro, when you're not the Kansas City Chiefs, which by the way, the Steelers have been that for years. The Steelers are the silver standard or the bronze standard or whatever you want to point to. Like behind the Patriots and Ravens, like the Steelers have been the silver or bronze standard for pivoting from one generation to the next, being proactive in the players they pick. They just got this one wrong because they were paying Ben Roethlisberger $35 million a year. They're not going to be the Giants, I don't think. They're just not going to be as good as what they are right now, or what they were the past few years even. I mean, they were in AFC championships with Ben and uh, and uh, Le'Veon Bell and Antonio Brown and uh, the, the defensive pieces that they had back then. Like, they went to AFC championship games with Cam Hayward and, uh, gosh, who are those offensive linemen there? I mean, obviously they had Villanueva, but, oh, DeCastro, that's what I'm thinking of. DeCastro and Pouncey and... Uh, Antonio Brown and Le'Veon Bell and and Big Ben like they were going to AFC championships then they made the playoffs twice in the last three years they've basically been as good as the Patriots have been and the Patriots didn't pivot well from Tom Brady and they didn't pivot well from Ben Roethlisberger and both those teams are going to miss the playoffs this year and that's totally okay it's just Pittsburgh's going to have to pivot to Kenny Pickett for the next three seasons it's just kind of stupid that they had to go through the Mitchell Trubisky process when I knew that that wasn't the case, but it's still okay. Like it's okay that Pittsburgh is is doing that process. Now they genuinely believed that they could make the playoffs, and they just needed a game manager. Which credit to them for wanting to try. It's just now clear that that's not going to be the case, and now they'll go to Kenny Pickett. Like I think they should have starting in Week One. It's only Week Four in the grand scheme of things. It's not that big a deal. It's just repeating the stupid cycle of NFL teams deciding we're going to sit a first-round quarterback for two games and then put Justin Herbert in. Holy shit, Justin Herbert's amazing. Why didn't we play him from Week One? I don't know. So they just waited a couple weeks and now they'll get to develop Pickett. I have no idea what Kenny Pickett's going to be. He might be better than Mitchell Trubisky immediately. At least now we get to actually find out. And if he makes mistakes, he makes mistakes. If he's not great, he's not great. It's all right. You're going to miss the playoffs. You're going to lose 10 to 11 games. It's okay. Season's over. This season is about draft pick and development. It's okay. Spreading the news I'm leaving today I want to be a part of it New York, New York These vagabond shoes Are longing to stray Right through the very heart of it New York, New York. Oh, 
right, everybody. I know on the title here it says NFL Monday, and it's a week four of the NFL season. But I want to talk about college football. And I also know that Wired Up, which is sometimes released on Sundays, is the purpose for uh, talking about college football on the weekends. But this is like that weird purgatory where I want to talk about college football, but it's also not worth doing a full podcast. So I'll just weave 15 minutes into our NFL Monday segment to talk about some wacky shit from college football. Because there's like little things that I want to talk about, but it's not like a full-scale conversation like uh, what we did with Ohio State and Notre Dame or what we did with uh, Alabama and Texas, where we can talk 30 to 35 minutes about one topic and turn it into a full podcast. I don't have anything like that. I've just got like a handful of small college football things to mention, kind of memes of the weekend-ish, like mentioning the Purdue game. It's always around the corner. Minnesota was 4-0. and They got ranked. P.J. Fleck, whom we used to be all in on, but now we don't like as much anymore because he's kind of a dick and players complained about him, but it got washed away by the news of the college football mega expansion. Uh, P.J. Fleck was 4-0, and perfect, in a Big Ten West where Wisconsin is terrible, which means we don't know what's going to happen in the Big Ten West. I think Northwestern is, is the best team in that conference right now. By uh, by record at one and one in conference play, and then there's a bunch of teams tied at one and one. But basically, the Purdue game happened again. Is Purdue good? Not really. Purdue's going to win six, seven games, probably make a bowl game. But Purdue exists to ruin other teams' seasons. They've done it twice to Ohio State. Now they did it once to Michigan last year. They did it to a number two ranked Iowa. I think maybe on the same weekend. It might have been the same weekend as last year. The Purdue game will always strike. This year it struck down a perfect Minnesota team who should have won that game easily, but then the Purdue game happens because Purdue game is inevitable. There's going to be nuclear holocaust and the last man standing will be Purdue Pete. Also, Wake Forest beat Florida State pretty handily. I mean, they were leading by three touchdowns most of the game and the final score was closer and Wake had to sweat it out a little, but... I feel like we haven't taken the proper time to appreciate just how remarkable it is that Wake Forest has been consistently better than Florida State for five years. Because for 35 years of college football history, Wake Forest has been a team that wins between, I mean, I love this stat, before last year, for 15 consecutive seasons, Wake Forest never won less than three games and never won more than eight games. They were between three and eight wins for 15 consecutive seasons at Wake Forest. And now Wake Forest won the ACC Coastal last year. They're going to finish at least second this year, depending on what happens between them and NC State. They might make a, a major bowl game or something, but I feel like we haven't properly appreciated just how wild it is that Wake Forest has been consistently better than Florida State because it's not like the resources changed. The reason that it's kind of the case is Florida State spent a bunch of money on buyouts and there's been organizational mismanagement in the athletic department, which is if you've read about why Jimbo Fisher left Florida state, there was a a lot of tension between him and the the athletic department and, and some mismanagement up there. And, and Florida state has certainly got less resources now than they used to. And they're building up a program from scratch. And last year we talked about the five year fall of Florida state football, where they missed a bowl game for the first time in 37 years or something like that. 
Like it's it's crazy that Wake Forest is consistently better than Florida State for like five seasons now, like half a decade. Wake Forest, and obviously Sam Hartman's been playing at Wake Forest for like seven seasons, but it's crazy that Wake Forest has been consistently better than Florida State. They haven't even been the top of the conference all the time. Like I see a third place finish last year because of everything that happened to Clemson. They ended up winning the ACC Coastal, which usually when Wake Forest wins the ACC Coastal, someone's getting fired on your staff doesn't have to be the head coach but someone on your staff is getting fired if you can't beat wake forest for the conference title and uh, i feel like we need to take the time to properly appreciate just how wild it is that for as long as this podcast has existed which this is our fourth uh fourth football season on the show wake forest has been consistently better than florida state and uh, the resources haven't changed dramatically in either program and i think that's uh that's pretty remarkable now we can talk about what I want to talk about very, very badly, which is 5-0 and Kansas. I want to talk about our beloved Kansas Jayhawks, whom we've been laughing at for years on this podcast. Going back to the pandemic days, Blake Jude and I recorded podcasts about Lane Kiffin and about Kansas over and over and over again, going back to 2020. And now here we are in 2022, where last year... We did an entire Memes of the Weekend podcast about how Kansas went into the University of Texas, beat Texas, and it was their first conference road win in 12 seasons last year. 12 seasons without a road conference win. And Kansas football has been, and this is no exaggeration, there's evidence to back this up, the worst stretch of power conference football in the history of college football. The last 12 years of Kansas football has been the absolute worst power conference football that has been played over the history of college football. And it's not even inequitable resources. It's that Kansas, Kansas is a great basketball program. They just don't invest the money necessary to build up the football program and They've just consistently made terrible hires for the past, uh, shall we say, 12 to 13 years. It's been three different or four different coaches, technically five different coaches, because Mark Mangino, who, uh, if you follow Lebetard show, his profile photo on Twitter is Mark Mangino being more round than the Orange Bowl mascot. Back in 2007 when Kansas made their first and only Orange Bowl in their program's history and then immediately followed it up in 2009 by starting 5-0, and losing their next seven games and Mark Mangino getting fired in disgrace. And since then, and I love reading this off, Kansas has, okay, so back then the Big 12 had divisions, but they have sixth out of sixth in the North Division, sixth out of sixth in the North Division. Then it goes to 10 teams after realignment. Kansas has 10th place, 10th place, 10th place, 9th place, 10th, 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 10th place. Dead last for 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13 consecutive seasons. And by the way, the year they finished 9th was just because they won one conference game against Iowa State and Iowa State ended up winning only one conference game. So it was a tie for last place. For 13 consecutive seasons, Kansas finished dead last. 
And part of it was they couldn't hire great coaches. They couldn't retain people on their staff. And part of it was Kansas was just so bad at football. 13 consecutive last place finishes. Kansas football for these years uh, in conference games won one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, six, six conference games, six conference games for Kansas for between 2009 and 2022. 13 years, they won six total conference games, and all of them were at home. Kansas hadn't won a road game in the Big 12 in 54 games before they beat Texas last year. By the way, a Texas win that was their only conference win last year. Kansas was 2-10 and 10 last season. Kansas was terrible last year. And this Kansas team is so lovable and so much fun. Those who don't remember, we've talked about this before with Blake Jude. They hired a guy named Lance Leopold to coach their team. And Lance Leopold has this crazy story. So he coached at a Division uh, Division three school and won the championship of Division three six times in eight years. Won six championships in eight years. He was an assistant coach at this uh, school. Or he was an assistant coach at Nebraska Omaha, then goes to Wisconsin Whitewater. They're the preeminent Division three powerhouse. And after that, he goes from D3 right into the FBS, college football. And he coaches at Buffalo for a whole bunch of years. Buffalo actually turns into a pretty good program that made bowl games every year for three straight years. And then when Lance, uh, sorry, when Les Miles resigns in disgrace and gets fired because of all of the stuff that went down at LSU, when Les Miles gets fired at Kansas, they finally took a risk on a coach that everyone had kept overlooking. And that was the way that Kansas found value within the margins, is that Lance Leopold was consistently overlooked as a Division Three champion, then going to Buffalo, coaching at Buffalo for six seasons and never really getting considered for a top job. To get a Power 5 coaching job, Lance Leopold had to go to Kansas. And with Transfer Portal... Transfer portal was the competitive advantage that broke Kansas from being the worst team in college football, and they used that as a competitive advantage as the game changed. As for 13 years, college football was changing, and Kansas could never, ever break that stretch. And Lance Leopold has an offense that is able to score 40 points running backwards in games, um, the, the stretch they've been on this year. So basically, they start the year with Tennessee Tech, which is obviously just an easy victory. They put up 56 points in that first game of the season. Then they play at West Virginia. The game goes to overtime. They score 55 points, including a pick six in overtime to close it out. Kansas scores 120 no 111 points to start the season and by the way winning in West Virginia which is a, again a small test like if you're working your way up the ladder Kansas beat the previously second worst team in the Big 12 now the worst team in the Big 12 in West Virginia and everyone saw that and they were like oh my gosh that is incredible that's so cool Kansas is 2 and 0 they won a, a conference game and 
the cool part about the 5-0 and Kansas story, because like beating West Virginia is cool. Like Historically, Kansas would have lost to West Virginia in those moments. Um, it would have been, like I said, they won six conference games over the last 15. They won six conference games in the previous, what is that, 13 years, six conference games. So they're assuming that West Virginia is going to be an L. By the way, in the preseason Big 12 rankings, Kansas finished 10th out of 10 they were projected to be dead last in the big 12 and so like yes they beat Tennessee Tech which is not always a game that they win remember last season Kansas stormed the field after they beat South Dakota an FCS team and not even the great FCS team an FCS team that finished just close to 500 they stormed the field after beating them by three points they did not cover the spread against South Dakota and storm the field because any victory at Kansas is worth storming the field. When they beat Texas back in 2018, storm the field. Or it was, it was either 18 or 16. I don't remember which one it was. Storm the field, baby. Yeah, 2016. We are storming the field because it is our first win in conference. <laughs> it's our first win in conference in nearly... Fort, uh, at least two years and our third win at home in the conference over the last six years. So anytime you win a game, they're storming the field at, at uh, Kansas, even when it's against South Dakota and they don't cover the spread because they win on a game winning field goal. And so the whole rest of the season, Kansas loses every game. They're the same Kansas. Uh, they fired Les Miles in the middle of April because of scandal at LSU and because of that, they didn't have a chance to bring in any players like that. They won a game. They go to the transfer portal. They come around this year, and like I said, they beat West Virginia. It's a big deal. Everyone's going crazy because now they've won two road conference games. They beat Texas last year, which was chaotic, and then they beat the worst team in the Big 12 in West Virginia. Okay. The next week, they travel to Houston, and they put up another 48 points against Houston. A Houston team that the week before was ranked in the top 25. Now they lost to Texas Tech and their season's kind of falling apart, but they whooped up on Houston, who's going to be a Big 12 team next year. And by the way, right now is currently better than West Virginia. And so it's basically like, okay, next year Houston's going to be a Big 12 team. They've just beaten the worst team in the Big 12 and a team that's better than West Virginia and is about to join the Big 12. So it's like, okay, now how good could they actually be? Well, now they play Duke, which is an ACC team and not a good ACC team. They just fired their coach last year. But Duke started the year 3-0, and which is better than West Virginia and Houston by that like technical speak there. Um, and Duke beat Virginia, by the way. So Duke is undefeated at this time. Duke might make it to a bowl game. They, they have to pull off one upset, but Duke might be able to make a bowl game this season and Duke ended up losing to Kansas and Kansas was now four and O with three wins against either big 12 teams, ACC teams, or soon to be big 12 teams. So basically they have three power five wins they had three Power 5 wins in the last five seasons combined. 
five years combined, they had three power conference wins, and now they have three to start the season. And then this week, they're playing on ESPN2. It's their largest televised game in years. Technically, since the Texas-Kansas game, that was also on ESPN. I think that was on ESPNU. But it's like, this is the highest televised game Kansas has had, which I know it's ESPN2, but given Kansas has been on the FCS channel of ESPN Plus for years and years, and Kansas against Iowa State only scores 14 points. It's like one of these weird like defensive struggle type of games. And Kansas scores two touchdowns, holds Iowa State the rest of the game, and Kansas ultimately is leading by three points at the end of the game. Iowa State turned the ball over on downs. Everyone's getting excited. Kansas has to punt back to Iowa State. Iowa State gets the ball in the field goal range, and they missed it. They missed it pretty bad, but they missed it. And in Kansas, storm the field. Because Iowa State's not the pinnacle of the the Big 12 by any stretch of the imagination, but when you're talking about winning in four consecutive weeks, games against West Virginia, Houston, Duke, and Iowa State, that represents seven years of victories at Kansas. This is the worst program in, in college football. And I've told you before, I love losers. I love losers so, so much. I grew up in San Diego. None of my teams made the playoffs my memorable lifetime. I grew up a Laker fan after the championships. My, my favorite basketball years were those baby Lakers that weren't going to win any games, but we had hope and we had camaraderie and all that bullshit about sports. My favorite moment of the year from sports was the Minnesota Timberwolves winning a playoff game and chucking the jersey out of they they chucked the jersey with Patrick Beverly jumping on the table and crying and hugging because they won a play in game and I live in Sacramento I cover the Sacramento Kings they have the longest playoff drought over the weekend the Seattle Mariners hit a walk off home run to break a 21 year playoff drought and I thought that was the coolest shit in the world I love losers. I love teams that are basically minor league that exist within the construct of major professional sports. And I'm including college football in the mix as a major professional sport. I love the context of minor league teams beating or at least not even beating, just being in the same conversation as the best of the best. And Kansas represents that because if you want to talk minor league football, Kansas has lost to Division II teams over the past 13 years. Kansas can't even compete in the Big 12. The Big 12 is is either the fourth or the fifth of the power conferences, and Kansas can't even compete in that. Kansas is playing middle-of-the-road FCS teams in like determining years for their coaches, like years where it's like make-or-break time for what you've built with this program. They can't even beat FCS and Division II football teams. And the fact that Kansas has turned this around after beating Texas last year in just the most embarrassing loss Texas maybe has ever experienced. And it feels less embarrassing now because Kansas is first place in the Big 12. That victory combined with 13 years without winning a road conference game, 52-game losing streak, just the most inept football program that has existed in college football, major college football, shall we say, that team being able to start 5-0 and and win as many Power 5 games in the last four weeks as they have in the last seven years, 
that's the coolest fucking shit ever. And guess what? College game day is going to Kansas next week. TCU, who also is undefeated and just beat Oklahoma, TCU plays Kansas, and that game is going to be epic. And it's only epic. It's on Fox Sports 1. It's not the pinnacle of college football. Both of these teams, TCU has a brand new coach, and Kansas has a second-year coach in Lance Leopold. But if Kansas gets college game day for the first time and wins that game, and they get to be bowl eligible with a perfect 6-0 and record, I mean, after that, they play Oklahoma, Baylor, Oklahoma State. They will probably lose all three of those games. If they can get to 6-0 and with the stretch that they've won, which is West Virginia, Houston, Duke, Iowa State, and TCU... That's basically like a team that is 10th place out of 10 jumping to 5th place within 5 weeks. And I know that doesn't seem super remarkable within the broader context of sports. When Kansas has been trying to get from 10th to 9th for 13 years, if this were any other sport, they would have been relegated at this point because of the resources They would have been booted out of their conference, left behind in realignment. When it took 13 years to get from 10th to 9th, for the fact for them in four weeks to go from 10th to 9th to 8th to 7th to 6th, now possibly jumping up to 5th, and for it to be in the chronological sequence that it's been where they play a not great team, then a slightly better team, then a slightly better team, then a slightly better team, and now they play TCU, who happens to be another perfect 5-0 and team. Oh, it's just perfect. It's perfect. And I am going to watch that game with the most intent in the world. I'm going to come back with that and my San Diego Padres weekend and feel absolutely fucking rejuvenated when we get in here next Monday. Let's go Jayhawks. They're our team. They're our losers. And damn it, we are going to stand behind the losers through and through. Let's get to 6-0. and Let's make a bowl game. And I will pay to go watch your bowl game because damn it, if we don't love the Kansas Jayhawks here on this show because we've been making fun of them for years and the reason we make fun of them is not because we want to mock them they know how bad they've been they stormed the field after not covering the spread against South Dakota who I believe finished like six and six that year in FCS they know how bad they are we want to stand behind you when you do good things we're going to stand behind the losers when the losers make their mark We celebrated you when you beat Texas last year, part because Texas is annoying, but also because it's Kansas making a stand, 53-game losing streak, gone away, and we are going to stand, we may make fun of the losers, we will stand by the losers because we are losers ourselves here on this show. I am a loser through and through, it's the thing I love most about sports. In football, I just decided Patrick Mahomes is more fun, but for everything else, I love being a goddamn loser. And losers like Kansas getting college game day is the greatest thing that has happened in this entire football season. All right, everybody, it's time to award our week four 
Kirk Cousins Purgatory Award. That is, in fact, the Philip Rivers Memorial Kirk Cousins Purgatory Award here for week four. Uh, there was no true Kirk Cousins Purgatory this week. There was no true situation like this. And I'm, award- I- I'm tempted to award the title to the team who was in Kirk Cousins purgatory territory against the Vikings themselves. That was the London game. It was the Saints. Andy Dalton had, what would it be? A three-point deficit with 30 seconds to go, needing to go 75 yards. And he did it basically in two plays with no timeouts. They went up, spiked the ball. Will Lutz double-doinked. I'm tempted to go with that one, but there was also the New York Giants having a situation where they were down eight, no timeouts, needing to go 70 yards because Graham Gano missed a field goal, and they did the most awesome lateral play ever that lasted 15 seconds and failed. They were both so great, but I think I'm going to go with double-doink Andy Dalton this week. I think Andy Dalton is going to get the award against Kirk Cousins for being in a weird reverse Kirk Cousins purgatory situation. So, Justin Fields, honorable mention. You were fantastic this week. I don't think I can do a double award this time, though, so I will award it to Andy Dalton. Justin Fields, you will have many chances left for the future of your career. Morgan, if you're listening, I told you already, Morgan from Australia, I see a lot of Andy Dalton and 7-10s and in your future. It doesn't get better from here as a Saints fan. It's okay to quit that narcotic. It's okay. This is the, this is the time to quit. This is the time to switch teams. I do want to acknowledge a couple more funny things that happened. Um, (laughs) Detroit Lions, man, don't ever change. I mentioned this at the start of the show. Detroit Lions have scored 25 more points than the next closest team. That might have changed after the Chiefs game, but during the afternoon games, they had 25 more points than the next closest team, and they have the worst record in the NFC, man. Don't ever change, Detroit. 48-45 is a score, Gami. It's just a crazy game. It's so funny. Don't ever change Detroit. Just just keep being you. Score a lot of points. Give up a lot of points. You'll win about 50% of your games this year, which I guess for Detroit means like 7-10 and because there's going to be an inevitable terrible Jared Goff game coming up here. Don't ever change Detroit. They're going to score a shit ton of points. You're going to give up a shit ton of points, and I like that about you. Also, I, I mentioned the, the crazy game there at one point. Also want to shout out the Colts. Letdown game of the, I know it, the emotional high of beating the Chiefs. Letdown game against the Titans. Man, y'all are going to mess this up. Y'all are going to mess up having the Ponzi, the Pyramid Scheme AFC South in your grasp. Y'all are going to mess it up again. Man, just, just tough breaks all around for the Colts. Can't believe y'all are going to mess this one up again. Just, just crazy. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for stopping in here to the Take It Easy podcast on an NFL Monday. Make sure to leave a five-star review, download wherever it is that you get podcasts, subscribe, review, all that good stuff. I'm very tired. I'm going to go to sleep. Take it easy, everybody.